Hold on. Bring it back. Welcome to the Endurance Town USA Project. This podcast, along with our blogs, vlogs, and adventure team, travel around the USA both creating and sharing the stories of human beings, changing lives, and communities through endurance sports and outdoor adventure. Follow us by subscribing today to reconnect and rediscover your own why as we explore the people and the places that make the endurance lifestyle where we call home. This is Endurance Town USA. Bring it back. Everybody, welcome to Endurance Town USA. I am here in Bend, Oregon with Ian Sharman. Hello. Hi, nice to meet you. You as well. And we're going to have a little chat today, um, get to know Ian, as well as understand a little bit about the vibe in Bend. I'm loving it so far. It's freaking hot today, but I know this is not. You picked a normal. great time to come in. Well, July is like this. Is it? Okay, yeah, so it this, this is this, this is about as hot as it gets. It's 98 degrees today, but right. I do love the Bend summer. That's one of the best things about being here. Between about late June and mid September, mm. it's just nice weather every day, guaranteed. Yeah, it's quite gorgeous actually. Um, so let's get started. I mean, I do know that you're a professional ultra runner. You're also a mm -hmm. coach. You have a coaching business. Um, you seem to do quite a bit of writing, I've noticed online. You've got a podcast going and you've got a pretty regular blog. Yep. And Not so, so much the blog anymore. The blog I haven't really okay. done much for years, but uh, now it's more writing for magazines, that kind of thing. Okay. Might as All well right. get paid for it. You might as well get paid for it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, and to your name, you've done over 200 Trail yeah, races? Uh, not just trails, so marathons, ultras, okay. all different things, and, and a whole load more shorter ones as well. But yeah, 220 or something at this point. Okay. And you frequent podiums. <laughs> That's the aim, yeah. <laughs> Got it. So a very competitive spirit, huh? Mm -hmm. mm. O always have been. Uh, everything I did, school work, every sport I played, I just ne was never amazingly good at anything. I was the jack of all trades. I played soccer and field hockey and tennis and everything. I was competent at them I'd be in the teams and stuff but I was never going to be uh, playing for the my country or making a living out or anything even close to that and then somehow running is the thing that I can do that for yeah so well, I, I will so hear about that a little bit <laughs> I want to understand um, who you are as a person where do you come from what is your family experience look like and then how did you eventually come to America and become a U.S. citizen and so forth so where were you born Born in Northampton in the UK. So okay. I lived in England for the first 29 years. I'm now next month turning 40. So I've had mm -hmm. 10 years in the US, but mm -hmm. or 10 years almost in the US. And uh, I, I basically came over here to get married, but I, I wasn't a runner the whole time. No, no, I, I, I met someone on MySpace, which doesn't Whoa. even exist. So it wasn't a dating site. Uh -huh. It was just when the whole social media thing was just getting going. It's 2005, 2006. And it was just kind of fun chatting to random people. It's like, wow, you can do video with someone around the world. And uh, I think it was still on dial-up when I, I met my wife. I mean, it was That's not awesome. good internet. Uh -huh. And I, I didn't even have internet at home in my apartment that I shared with a couple of other guys. Mm. So I had to go into the office to be able to speak to her. So I get into the office really early okay. or really late. Okay. And occasionally the, the partner for who, who I worked for um, would would be thinking, like, why is that guy in early? He doesn't seem to be working at 5 a.m., so right. why is he here? And he just used the internet. So I, I wasn't fooling him that I was an extra hard worker with that. <laughs> it allowed me to talk. And you then also because of the eight-hour time difference. You were working difference. extra hard on your love life, to be clear. Exactly, you yeah. Were. You're yeah. committed. <laughs> yeah, we, we did three years of that, so between oh, wow. London and Bend. Okay. And so she, she worked on TV news here, Amy did, and okay. uh, she'd had a car crash, and that was why she was on the internet. So I'm putting a whole load of things in there. But That's basically, it. she crashed and had a 
broken neck. And so she was recovering from that. Luckily, no issues relating to movement from that. But she had a halo device where it's drilled into the skull, couldn't move anything there. So she just sat in bed wow. and decided she wanted to talk to people from another part of the world and randomly liked my smile on my profile photo on uh, MySpace. So we just started talking. A couple of months later, I'd never been to this side of the US and I thought, well, Ben sounds interesting, never heard of it. I'll come out and uh, loved Ben. Obviously okay. fell in love as well. And three years later, moved over to the US. Uh, wow. with the aim of, of moving in the same company. So I worked uh, as an economist in London. I moved with the same company, Deloitte, big accounting firm, mm -hmm. and uh, was, had to do that in a bigger city, though. So I couldn't do that in Bend. I had to do that in the Bay Area in California. So we, we've moved back and forth for work-related stuff for a couple of times, but the aim was always to be in Bend. Okay. Fantastic. Wow. That's the quick summary. When people say it, it makes for a good uh, like rom-com type movie of uh, <laughs> of the whole dating from one country to another, eight hour time difference, like I'm having bre breakfast while she's having dinner mm -hmm. and then uh, coming over about six times a year, using up all my vacation. I would fly back on a Sunday night, land at 6 a.m., go straight into the office and try not to fall asleep all day long <laughs> while working. I had one time when I flew into Heathrow in London and then had to go to another part of Heathrow and fly to Belfast to work on client work. And I did fall asleep in a meeting that morning and that did not impress people. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, no, but understandably so, yes. right? Yeah, exactly. It's all for getting to where I wanted to be, but uh, exactly. I never guessed it would be running related or that uh, I'd be able to actually make a living in this way. Mm, okay. So where you grew up in England, and what about your family? Do you have siblings? Do you have a yep. big family? Br brother and sister now okay. live in London. They didn't live in London when I was there. Okay. I was there straight after university for seven years, uh, so until I left in, in uh, 2009. Mm -hmm. And they moved just after that, so they're both younger. Ma okay. Mark is two years younger. Jane's nine years younger. But they're now happily, well, happily living in London as much as you can during coronavirus. Right. They can't do the normal things they'd want to do. Right, right, as is the rest of us, yeah. right, trying to understand this experience that we're collectively having. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure they totally get why I left London to live in a mountain town, because they're outdoorsy kind of people, but they're not like going up mountains and doing that type of thing. They're more just sporty. So they, Mark actually is a uh, very buff, like completely ripped personal trainer. He, he looks like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger type of thing. Okay. And then my sister is just very sporty and does a lot of gym work, but they, they don't quite get this in the same way that I do. Yeah. So they don't feel the need to have woods and mountains on their doorstep the whole time. Well, when you were growing up, you played sports. Mm -hmm. So was running a primary sport or was it just a secondary? No, not really. Fit? It was just part of all of them. Right. So okay. particularly soccer is so much yeah. about running and endurance that uh, you've got to get 90 minutes of, of hard running in basically. Mm -hmm. And you'll often cover about 10K of almost sprinting mm -hmm. within the 90 minutes. So it really helps to be a good runner. But I never liked running. Mm -hmm. I always thought that was just a boring sport. If there wasn't a ball to run towards, it didn't <laughs> quite, the there's not much point. And even when I started getting into running, it was mainly just that working in London, it's more difficult to organize. Loads of other people turning up and then paying a fee to play somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I just got into running because it was uh, simpler, a good way to, to stay fit. But I, I wasn't really thinking, oh, yeah, this is the most fun thing I can do. It's just the most convenient thing. Well, and sprinting. I mean, you know, <laughs> we're endurance athletes. It's, and you're a, it's you know, not as good now. My, my sprinting no. has definitely gone down from where it was. But <laughs> my endurance has so gone up hurting. quite a bit. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> I actually feel really slow if I occasionally have a, a kick around with a ball or something. It's like, why can't I get to that ball quicker? <laughs> That's not my, my legs should have got me there quicker. I'm a runner now. That should be the good thing. But of course, sprinting is very different to uh, endurance running. Totally, totally. So 
you have accomplished quite some feats in the ultra running space. So at what point did you transition into running being your primary sport? Uh, basically 2005, because okay. at, at that point I was still playing a little bit of, of the occasional kind of soccer game or hockey, mm. but not really much, just because it's too difficult to fit in. So I wanted something I could be doing many times a week and be fit rather than every other week. And you, you don't maintain a whole lot of fitness if you're only playing that uh, irregularly. Mm -hmm. And I'd been used to growing up always playing sport. Like my summer vacation time was always, uh, I lived in a small village uh, in the middle of England and all the kids would just go out and play and we'd play hours and hours of soccer, hours of tennis, hours of cricket. And... You know, we were probably doing five hours of sport a day, and that's just the summer. And then play video games and other stuff. Mm -hmm. But it was just the natural thing that you, you're doing outdoors exercise the whole time. And then you go and work in an office, Part and of your that's way harder to do. Right? Yeah, so yeah, definitely. Your parent, Dad's you in his 70s, yeah. and he, he plays tennis regularly still. Okay, fantastic. And they that's what they expected for their home environment. All three of you kids are fit yeah. and healthy. And, yeah. okay. and, and luckily enough, because we had a small area and it's safe for the kids to go out on their own and there's a big mm -hmm. soccer pitch and, and everything else, we had the facilities for that to be really easy. Mm -hmm. I think so much of what influences us as human beings is the communities that we live in. Obviously, 100%. our family structure, yeah. you know, our peer circle. School, friends. I, I think it, I feel really bad for people who live in cities mm -hmm. that don't have those sporting don't facilities. I, I luckily had great sports fields and, and the opportunity to play almost any sport I want, or certainly UK-based sports that I wanted to do, mm -hmm. and do that loads and be in the teams where you get, it's even the benefit that you get time off from school sometimes, like the afternoon off to be able to go and go to another school and play a game. So wow, yeah. it was, it was the best part of school for me and yeah. also social <laughs> and also the, the sport and the competitive element of it. Mm -hmm. So that speaks even to the values of the agencies within the city, you know, the school mm -hmm. systems and so forth. That this well, it was a, a private school, for... so it was not so much the government-based stuff, but it okay. just had good facilities because it was private. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And I'm English as well, so I know, uh, you know, I have a lot of relatives there still and spread all over Europe now, but uh, soccer's a big thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, some oh, if I could have been a professional soccer player, that would have been number one, the definitely. thing. Yeah, and I think it, yeah. it, there's a lot of people who probably say that in other sports that mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of runners that if I could have been an NFL player, if I could have been a basketball player, they would have done that instead. Yeah, yeah I went to a couple United uh Newcastle United games that were just like unreal, like it's mm -hmm. next level sports. We think that football here is impressive, like the crowds. I, I know just seeing how big the stadiums are here. I mean, you've got college games with 70,000 person stadiums and mm -hmm. stuff. That, that's just a, the biggest stadiums you get in any sport of that kind of size are not much bigger. Yeah. And yet you can pack that out for, for what I would think of as just a university level thing that is not professional. Mm -hmm. And it's to a very high level here, but it's not nearly as good as the professional level still. Well, we need to work on still getting running that popular, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I want to hear more about how you got into running and how you expanded it in your life experience. But we both know, like, it takes a pair of running shoes. Yeah. And then it takes someone generally or an experience to influence you that says, hey, come running with me or have you tried this or whatever. Somehow getting you into uh, having a taste for what's possible in the running space. Mm -hmm. Let's hear about your story, how you transitioned. Mine was actually fairly simple. So it wasn't so much a person. It was a TV show. I saw a what? documentary about a race in the Sahara Desert. So I've always loved travel. Oh, yeah. So before university, every year in between, I would travel around. I, I interrailed around Europe. I okay. went uh, around the world before and after university, just backpacking. So it was more the idea of going to cool places yeah. and something that could keep me fit and healthy. So okay. I, it happened to be a running event in the marathon, called Marathon de Sable in the Sahara Desert. If that same documentary had been 
I know a, a mountain biking event, I might have gone, you know what, that's a cool place to go mountain bike. I should start mountain biking. Mm. But also I think running is an easier transition for everyone because especially if you played anything remotely athletic in your life, you've done running. It's not yes. like I've got to learn that skill or I've right. got to buy loads of expensive equipment. So I, I just thought, yeah, I'd like to go to the Sahara Desert. That seems like a cool place. And it happens to be a running event. And then uh, there was one guy at work who'd happened to have done that same event the year before. Okay. And I remember at the time thinking, that's crazy. Why would you do a marathon a day in the Sahara when it's the hottest temperatures possible Sounds in the world? Like hell, sign me up. But then I saw the TV show and it's like, actually, that looks pretty cool. Yeah. And they walked a lot in it. It wasn't like you had to be some professional level person to get through it. It seemed like very normal people did it. Uh, as in Huge not race. super athletic. You didn't need to be training a thousand hours a week and that kind of thing. So I just got hooked from that. I entered it. That was 18 months later okay. because you had to book well in advance to get in. And I did a couple of marathons in the build-up. I did a 54-mile run called the London Brighton Race. And that was actually the last year they ever did the road version of that. And it was oh. a classic event. It had been going for oh. 50 years. But the people organizing it had been getting older and older. And they just couldn't find anyone to take it on from them uh, the year after. Mm. But I just found that I loved it. It was fun from the community point of view. But also, I just like this new thing that I could keep improving at. It, again, it's that competitive element of seeing improvement and getting immediate feedback and just really enjoying the, the success of having something to challenge me like that. So how old were you at this point? Uh, 24 when I saw it, 25 when I did it. Okay. okay. And right out of the gate then, you had not done even a road marathon as of nope. yet. And you said, marathon to sob, that's definitely for me. Let's I go. thought I'll take it on <laughs> with something that's 150 miles in a week. <laughs> That, but it, it didn't That's seem that awesome. unreasonable because I saw them walking a lot. And I thought, it's not like I need to be able to run 150 miles by that point. I just need to be able to move all week long. And that yes. seemed way more feasible. Yeah, right. And so I did some road marathons in the build-up. In fact, about five months after I decided to start, I did my first marathon. Okay. Did my second one two weeks later. And again, it is more in, in line with the idea of travel than it was to do with running and racing. So the first one was Prague. second one was Stockholm. And it's just cool places I'd not been before. Great mm -hmm. experience mm -hmm. to, to go and see what it's like there. And it happened to be a run, running race. And I got that element and, and the enjoyment from seeing more of the city than I would if I just walked around as a tourist. So how did you do? You survived? I survived through them. Yeah, the first <laughs> one was like 340. Uh, and I also roped a friend of mine into doing the MDS. Okay. So we both started training at that point. But he'd actually done quite a lot of running in the past and had been a very fast uh, half marathoner, like a 73-minute half. So he, he'd been very good. But now he's a little bit... Uh, of extra weight on him and, and even just a few years later he'd slowed down a lot and sure. wasn't really running but we we got into that so we ran the first marathon together did uh, 340 then we did the one two weeks later together again and I think I did 311 it's like wow if I keep improving at this rate I'll be at the Olympics in no time yeah. <laughs> take half it. an hour off every time <laughs> but of course then it's very incremental gain from there sure eventually it's minutes and then seconds yeah right? yeah, yeah. And you had that experience, so it was transformational then, because you yeah. kept going. You didn't say, this was bloody awful, or a one and done, you know, like a bucket uh, list Yes thing. and no. I think the first ultra I did, so when I did that London to Brighton run, yeah. I finished that and said, yeah, you know what, I think marathons are my thing. This seems a bit harder. Okay. But it also seemed easier than I expected. So it's both things at the same time. That one mental Initially, one it just seemed way more impossible to keep going. But also, mm -hmm. I had a couple of points where I bonked completely, had to walk for a mile. And I thought, oh, this is over. I'm halfway through and I'm walking already. And then after eating a bit of food, I got running again. Mm -hmm. And so it just seemed way more feasible then. It's like, okay, it, it, this is doable. It's not like you have something go wrong and then it's over. Like in a lot of sports, if you've just conceded a load of goals, you're pretty much out of it. You can fight yeah. and gain some self-respect, but you're out of it. While in ultras, everyone goes through those low points 
and just seeing that of the other runners over. around me again and multiple times potentially yeah. so the fact i had one point where i had to walk for a mile at mile 26 another time at mile 40 but even that second one i was thinking okay well it got better last time sure. so i'm sure i can keep running again and that's what happened i ran into the finish for the last 13 miles right. and thought that was way harder and there's a lot of soreness and everything compared to a marathon but it seemed like a really cool challenge it just planted that little seed but i never thought ultras would be my thing i actually thought marathons would be and again not professionally more just i would do lots of marathons and see the world that way mm -hmm. and just work on getting faster or more competitive or just yeah. whatever your other goals were within within your, my own distance. scope yeah. i mean i'd always played sports yeah. where i was nowhere near the top level so it's just about trying to yeah. find people Personal. you can push you and, and get a little bit better and a little bit better it was the same mentality here and then the running progressed a bit more, but I never got anywhere near professional level with okay. marathons. I, after the first few years, I got down to 232, which is really good, but it's Legit. very much amateur. It's nowhere near 202. Mm -hmm. And that gap is an impossible chasm. If you're not getting way close to that with almost no effort, you're, you're not going to get there. And, and I had no, uh, no thoughts about going to the Olympics. I knew that was way way ahead of, of what I could possibly do. What were you but doing I keep improving. at this moment? Because you were so working, working. full-time. Okay, I, yeah. I was working as an economist through all of that time. So I, I left university 2002. I think I started working late in 2002. So I'd, I'd been in the same company from 2002 to 2009 in London. And the running started in 2005. And then the first four years, I did my first 100 marathons or ultras. So I was doing 25 a year on average. Wait a minute. Did you say first 100 marathons? In four first, years. So you were doing about 25. From the first one to the 100th. What the hell? Yeah. So, every so other... I was almost every other weekend, yeah. I was basically flying to a city and doing a marathon. Oh, my goodness. So I got okay. really hooked. <laughs> well, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. yeah, slightly. So it wasn't just like I did a couple and gradually progressed. <laughs> I had, I, I think, 17 marathons before I did my first sub three. Wow. Um, and so what it was, was just incremental about? gains. I mean, honestly, that's a quest. That speaks a lot about your personality and your... It's just fun, affair. though. Yeah, it's it mainly just these are loads quest? of places I wanted to visit. Okay, so it really was travel-oriented. So, yeah, it was, it was totally travel. And then while I'm there, there's a marathon. So I pick mm -hmm. a city I wanted to go to, find out when the marathon was, and then backfill the year that way yeah. so that I could go to as many as possible. And from London, it's really cheap. I think the cheapest it I ever had is, was... Uh, a flight from London to Oslo yeah. that cost me less than the bus ride from Oslo Airport to Oslo. Yeah, it was something like nine pounds. Just it was moving virtually free. Like, yeah, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. it's just a different than America. So it, it really wasn't expensive. It was like in today's money, you know, three hundred dollar weekends. Yeah. So not cheap, cheap, but mm -hmm. that's a hostel, race entry, flights, bus, food. For, well, for 300 bucks. you were an economist, so you had this all figured out, right? And so I, I had my spreadsheets. I had, <laughs> had spreadsheets. Yeah, all that kind of thing. You still have the spreadsheets, and now they're coaching documents. Exactly. And... There's always been spreadsheets, definitely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and lists and things like that. But it was mainly, yeah, just thinking, here's all the countries. Here's when their marathons are. Okay. And just trying to fit them in. Some of them would be on the same weekend. So next year, I get to do that one. And okay. I did things like Berlin three times and Rome three times, I think, and Paris two or three times. So some of the big ones I did multiple because they were just really fun. like road marathon favorite uh, that's difficult because they're all so different and unique but i think probably for the atmosphere okay. boston boston for the course uh rome if we're talking about oh. a city marathon yes yeah, because it's marathon. just it just mm -hmm. links all of the amazing tourist sites mm -hmm. you do things like run for a mile straight just towards the vatican just on a massive oh. wide road it's Fantastic. and it starts yeah. and finishes at the coliseum 
So it's just a, an amazing, beautiful race. Not, not necessarily the fastest possible one, but mm -hmm. if you're thinking about travel, that is the kind of thing you want to do. Mm -hmm. So at what point did you become professional? How did this transition happen? It, it happened in ultra or in trail? Well, when I came over here, so okay. um, I did my first 100 miler 2010 at Western States. 100 miles are basically the biggest one the you can do. That was the first time you towed the line at 100? You just it was the second States. time I towed the line. Okay. It was the first time I finished one. But okay. I, I basically got into it, and it's a lottery, and it's really yeah. difficult to get into. And then because that was in June, I thought I should try and do something longer. The longest I've done is 50 miles. I'm doing my first 100 mile. I should have something else in there. So I entered a 100 mile at Rocky Raccoon in Texas in February of that year. But I'd been injured through all of January. Yeah. So I just got it fixed the week before. And I thought, okay, well, I paid for everything. I might as well go. And at the very least, I'll just get the longest run I've ever done. Uh, so I saw you there. That's when I first knew who this you were. This probably was, was the year before that. The oh, year okay. that I got the record was 2011. Oh, that's easy. So this year I okay. DNF'd. I was, there in I, I, was, I was in running in second and then DNF'd at about mile 80, having walked for 20 miles. But I was just happy that my injury, it was some kind of calf injury or something, I think. And mm -hmm. I was just happy that that had gone away. And I thought, yeah, 80 miles and not being injured is better than spending another 20 miles walking really slowly yeah. and being injured and then struggling to, to Western State. So I felt like I'd done what I needed there and I was just happy that I could run at all because one week earlier I couldn't. Right. So I, I, I was happy yeah. enough with that, but it also made me come back the following year to get the finish because I didn't want to leave it with a, a DNF. Yeah. And not just come back, let me set a course record. You know. And have a really perfect day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's what allowed me to, to move into it as a job. Okay. So I, I had the, the top 10 at Western States that gave me some credibility. Yeah. But then um, going to Rocky Raccoon, there happened to be a lot of the top guys randomly turned up that year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I managed to, to get the record and, and, and beat them, which yeah, no one, like people are discussing, oh, this is going to be like the second biggest race of the year after Western States. There's all these top guys. And then, oh, and there's this English guy who seems to be relatively okay. So he might get in the top 10. And, uh, and I just had a, a perfect day and, and found that 100 mile and was kind of my thing. Yes. And so after that, I was able to get was. sponsorship. Uh, although I, I thought, okay, That's now so I'm a good. pro runner. Now I have a sponsor. I have North Face sponsoring me. Yeah, I'm going to, I don't have to work anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I actually quit my job about two weeks after that. I Where was working in San Jose okay. in California. Um, I transferred in the same company, but I hated the job that I was doing there. I'd done okay. it for 10 months, hated every second of it. Mm -hmm. I'd wake up on Monday morning. And just think, oh, I wish I was ill, or I wish this was still Sunday. I this wish is... I was ill. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's when you that to bad. Quit your job. Yeah. Exactly. And so I, I got my green card through, so okay. that I didn't have to rely on them for being in the country. Got it. And then I think it was within a few days of the green card, I just put in my notice and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to pursue this running thing. I didn't want to burn bridges just in case. So I, I love the job, obviously, but you know, this running thing got to give it a chance. Yeah. Um, and then after a few months of basically being fully unemployed and just getting couple thousand dollars worth of costs covered for races I realized that probably being a professional runner from just companies throwing money at me wasn't really a thing not quite it stable. is it is a little bit more now uh, and certainly certainly things have improved for everyone including my own position there but that wasn't a long-term strategy you don't go from a corporate yeah. job and then going yeah I'll just scrape by and live in my car yeah uh, especially when you just well, got you married people do, <laughs> clear, <but> you, yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't want to do that path. and my wife definitely didn't want to do that, that no, okay. no 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 we didn't even have the discussion because that was yeah not something I wanted either so then I thought okay well maybe I can do some kind of economics and finance job in an outdoor company like North Face but unfortunately I didn't have any openings so it actually worked out really well mm -hmm. that 
I didn't just get a load of money thrown my way because mm -hmm. then I had to build up a coaching business. So I so had people asking me about that. Okay. Yeah, basically, I, I had a, a few friends saying, oh, you've had some really good results. Could you coach me? Yeah. And it didn't even cross my mind. But I thought, OK, well, I, I keep trying to learn as much as I can. I read as many books about coaching and training and other methodologies and everything you can do. Mm -hmm. And I was also experimenting on my own body with hundreds of races at that point. Yeah. Experiment um, once, exactly, but, but it allows you to keep refining things, especially when it's marathons. You can do little things differently each time, see what works best or what works better in training, and definitely was, was informing my ability to, to keep improving. Mm -hmm. But then because some friends asked me, I decided, okay, well, I'll, I'll get some, um, some basic coaching uh, qualifications. I, I became a certified personal trainer. I got like a USATF simple uh, coaching qualification and just set up a website and started seeing what might be possible. That first year, I brought in almost no money. Mm -hmm. uh, and my wife had also stopped her job because oh, we moved back to Bend at this point because oh, it's too okay. expensive to live in the Bay Area yeah. um, if we weren't really earning much she's money. She's from Bend. No, she's from Washington State, but she's okay. been working here. Okay. So uh, just as a side note there, when you work in TV news, you just go wherever you can find a job, especially mm -hmm. the early Follow ones. The and she was lucky enough, her first job was Bend. Mm -hmm. So she could have ended up in some crappy town somewhere that was yeah. boring and you know, nothing interesting. With no trails. And she ends up in Bend. It's, a, it's and, magical. And it's like, wow, that, that was lucky that you happened to find this place that I also love. And that made it even more appealing to, to move over here rather than her move to London. But um, yeah, basically, so we, we came back to Bend and I was trying to build up this new business. What year is this? 2010 to 11. Okay. So there's about six months of basically no income at all for either of us. Mm -hmm. And then, um, then just gradually building up and trying to, to think of it as a, a career as opposed to uh, a job to just pay the bills. Yeah. So I was thinking, if I'm going to do this, I had a career before. It has to be a proper career. I have to take, take it seriously, build up a business, yeah. have something long term so that at the point where I can no longer race competitively, I'm still earning money from it and mm -hmm. I've, I've become credible. Uh, rather than just uh, it brings in $1,000 a month, I can scrape by and, and that's enough. So that happened bit by bit. And then after about three years, I brought on a couple of friends as coaches. So Ellie Greenwood, um, who is, she's actually just voted the ultra runner of the decade. Um, so she she has the course record at Western State. She's won Comrade. She's one of the best female ultra runners of all time. No doubt about that. But she had just lost her job in Canada. And I said, look, with the experience you've got, why don't you come and work with me? I'll teach you coaching and we'll build things from there. And then I had a couple of other people I knew who were, um, over the next couple of years who said, hey, I see you did with Ellie. Can you do that with me as well? Mm -hmm. And so it's people who had a lot of um, experience and incredible accomplishments themselves. And in, in some cases, had already been coaching people as well. But in, in Ellie's case, it was starting from scratch there. But she had the experience of winning some of the biggest races in the world. <clears throat> so it was just awesome having her come on board. And then we, we all learn from each other as well with how we, uh, we coach and, and monthly meetings and things like that. And That's it built into a proper business. Successful coaching businesses, though. Mm -hmm. um, I used to be in triathlon before I went into endurance and then ultra endurance, and have done coaching and so forth. But work with a lot of different coaching companies, being a race producer as well. Um, when there are collaborations of like-minded people, right? Mm -hmm. So shared values, shared systems and procedures, yep. and understanding for the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. and having some business savvy. It's yeah. a business, oh, it to is. be clear. Yeah. And I enjoy that. that that's actually a big part a of the fun for me. I mean, it's yep. a ton of work. And if you're really doing it and doing it well, you deserve to be paid, but you also deserve to be in a community that facilitates that, right? So you've built a business mm -hmm. off of 
your own commitment, but then these relationships that, you know, yep. obviously you guys have a lot in common, but you're sharing the same best practices. Yep. I feel like that's a critical piece of the I pie. completely agree. I mean, it, it, it wasn't like I left my job in 2010 and thought, here is my long-term strategy. It was more just, <coughs> I will be a professional runner. And then when I realized professional runner was not really a job, yeah. um, I, I instead thought I'll be a professional coach and I will yeah. do everything I can yeah. to do it as well and as possible and, and, and be entrepreneurial. Yes. And that, I'd always want to work myself. My dad has his own business, okay. uh, just a small thing. He's an independent financial advisor, but it's self-employed. And so I always wanted to be able to do my own thing and not have a boss telling me things and not have to go into an office. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that was a, a massive motivation for me as well. Yeah. But then I saw this the potential. The, the death of the desk. Yeah, I, I, it's so great now. I, mm -hmm. I just get up 15 minutes before my first call in the morning. That's all I have to do. Yeah. No commute, nothing. Don't yeah. have to put on a suit. Yeah. So much easier. So uh, yeah, not, not having, I haven't worn a suit apart from at weddings for the last decade, which is such a nice feeling. And also right. you save money. Those things aren't cheap. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you can do your business from anywhere. We talked about that. Yeah. You know, I'm on this road trip right now with Endurance Town USA doing all the Western states. But, you know, you travel quite a bit as well. And being able to facilitate your business model from anywhere yeah. is a lifestyle choice. To be clear, we take the risk mm -hmm. of sometimes we're going to not be successful, not make money, whatever. Things are going to fail because we're taking risks. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we're giving ourselves this lifestyle that's incredibly rich and rewarding. Exactly. And yeah. that's, you know, checks and balances. You got to weigh it all out. Well, it, it, you know, I was willing to take the risk, first of all, as a runner. Mm -hmm. And then even with that, I knew that that wasn't going to be forever. That's not a job that you do till you're 70 and then right. you retire. Yeah. Um, unless you're an Olympian well, getting gold medals. If, <laughs> some, if, if, you're, if you get a now. few gold medals and you we're earn millions, older older. Yeah. But, but realistically, you know, if you're just, say, even a, you come fourth in the Olympic marathon, you're probably not going to be making much money from it. And you're going to have a very small window where you can even do that. Right. So uh, I, I knew that there had to be more than that. And yeah. coaching was just really fun. I mean, I loved learning about running. I loved talking about running. So all I do now is kind of like what we're doing here. I talk about running with people yeah. all day long. Yeah. And then on top of that, there's the, the running of the business and, and the other elements that are kind of sometimes annoying, sometimes fun to market and write articles and, and yeah, just there is work try and behind talk. the scenes. There's it's definitely not work. Just a, you know, yeah, we yeah. don't want to over glamorize this thing. There's but no it's also way more work in the early years yeah. to get it to a point where it exists, like any business, like any job. You've got to really put in the work to get the skills and get a reputation for yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you coast after that, but at least it's sustainable once you get to that level. And so that's what I've been really focusing on in my 30s. Yeah. And now it's, it's luckily got to that. And part of that sustainability model, and as an athlete, you are understanding of that as well. You know, we have the one body we get to work mm -hmm. with, so sustainability with our body and our sport is critical as well. But like I have found, and I'm sure you can speak to this with your collaborators, that having a team of people, and it takes a while to develop that team and to have people um, share your values and share your mission and so mm -hmm. forth, that makes it sustainable as well. Yeah, well, it makes it, it more fun. army of people. Because you can super keep learning. Fun, and I think... Fun. A lot of the, the key thing here that applies to everything I've just said, from starting running and everything else, is having a growth mindset. It's not yeah. saying, this is my thing, and I've peaked, and that's it, and I'm going to stay there forever. Yeah. It's saying, I want to have something I can get better at. I want to yeah. keep learning. Yeah. And yeah. running's great, because it doesn't matter how good you get, Staying you keep hungry. learning, especially yeah. ultras. Yeah. You can learn uh, how better to do something longer, or something faster, or something more hilly, or altitude, or... There's always things to keep improving no matter how old you get. Yeah. So you might be better at lots of things when you're 70 versus when you're 30. Mm -hmm. But physically, you'll have lost something in comparison there. But you could have made up for a lot of that with experience and knowledge. And that's what I love, that it's not just 
the fastest person that wins, the, the most genetically so gifted true. or so even true. the hardest working. Mm -hmm. It's also the one who does things best on the day. Yeah. It's kind of like any sports match. But again, I grew up with, and I love the idea that you could maybe beat someone better than you by doing, getting closer to your potential than they get to theirs. Yes. And that's the really enjoyable part of ultra running. Yeah, yeah. And as a coach, understanding that and being able to convey that. I know for, I do other types of coaching now, which is more on the lines of leadership and business and so forth. But like having somebody who believes in you more than you believe in yourself because mm -hmm. you don't really maybe know what's possible. Exactly. Right? How, uh, how would we So know many our people potential? put limits on themselves. And so much. Probably 50% plus of what I do with coaching. It's saying to people, it's like, we, we don't know what your limit is. It don't say, well, the four hour marathon, I'll never break that. You honestly don't know until you try. Yeah. Just because you haven't done it yet, let's try different things. And again, it's that whole growth mentality of yes. you keep trying different things if something isn't working, mm -hmm. you keep improving, and then suddenly they achieve something they didn't think they could. Mm -hmm. And it's super fun for me as well to see that realization. And I never got letters or, or messages from people with my previous corporate job saying, awesome job, I just had the best day of my life. Thank you so much. There's nothing We've even remotely like that. Budget. Yeah, we exactly. It. It's mainly just good job. Now here's more work. Next. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. 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 Next file, please. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Ben. Why <laughs> you came to Ben because your wife had lived here, had yep. a TV. Is she still on TV? No, no, because okay. it's the kind of thing where you, Ben's a small market and yeah. so you move up. So it was too big a jump for her to then go to the Bay Area where I needed to be for my job. Mm. So she moved into public relations instead, okay. which is a, a pretty natural thing. So rather than telling the story, you're trying to convince other people to tell the story, <laughs> but it's for a company. So, but it's a big overlap in the skills there. So she, she moved into that for a few years and now she, she just helps with my business. So marketing That's and phenomenal. PR for the so coaching side of it. Together. So it's really good having someone with that TV knowledge and yeah. That ability to uh, be good for sound bites and things like that. Yeah, well, PR and marketing has got to be a big part of growing yeah. your brand, you know. Oh, I run so many things past her. Just mm -hmm. does this seem like a good idea? Is this the best way to do it? Mm -hmm. Do you think this will appeal to the right audience? And it's not about just trying to spin everything, no. but it's about trying to be as effective as you can with what you're doing. Well, and equally critical, be authentic. Like she knows yep. you and she understands you, your values, what you stand for, and what the company stands for. So yep. she's going to make sure that you're you know, following through on that yep. as well. So and again, that, that reputation and that, uh, the whole credibility you have is, is essential as a coach. Those are the two main things that you, you basically trade off. Yeah, totally, totally. So you're in Ben now. How long have you been here? Uh, on and off since I moved to the US, so 2009, but I had in total, I think, one year in the Bay Area, first of all, when I was working there. Then we actually went back again for two years and I lived in Walnut Creek on the, the east side of the Bay Area um, while my wife did some PR uh, work for a company in downtown San, uh, San Francisco. Okay. So we had a couple of times moving back and forth, but it was mainly just uh, whatever we could do to be able to buy a house in Bend and be here. So we did the, all those things to work out, you know, can we earn a bit more money here? Is this the best way to do it? To get to where we wanted to be. So we've been here now fully since 2015. And this is your long-term home you've invested in. Definitely. Uh, you know, purchasing a home and building your business here. Yeah. Why Ben? Why has Ben so special to you? Obviously, there's all the memories associated with everything I've just said. Yeah. But to be honest, it's just one of the coolest places. I mean, mm -hmm. it's got amazing mountains. Um, you've got mountains here that have glaciers on them. Yeah. So if you're in Colorado, even the much taller mountains, they go completely bare of snow in summer. Here, you've got snow-capped mountains that you can see all year round. Mm -hmm. Also, I just think the volcanoes are that much cooler mm -hmm. than a big mountain range. I love the fact that you can be on one of them and just look down a line of volcanoes and go, 
ah, that's where the Earth's crust literally created a load of volcanoes rather than just a whole load of mountains together. Mm -hmm. They're just spaced out and dotted through Northern California all the way through to, to British Columbia. And so I just think that, that looks amazing. Plus they're volcanoes as opposed to just mountains, <laughs> which is a different type of rock. It yeah. looks cooler. The trails we, are We don't have volcanoes amazing. in England. No, so it don't. makes it that much more exotic. We have mountains in England. Yeah. They're not nearly as big. Mm -hmm. But there's something special about thinking this is a you know proper exotic, different type of thing. It has snow all the time. It's a volcano. In theory, some of them could erupt. I think they're, they're all dormant, uh, particularly South Sister being one of the closest ones. It's the most recent one, I think, to erupt, and it's the newest of the mountains there, but it could erupt still. Mm -hmm. It's not on anyone's real radar as being a big risk, mm -hmm. but we have a, a cool volcano there, and mm -hmm. that definitely has some cachet in my, my brain as being a nice local feature that there's something exotic like that. Yeah, and most of those are at 10,000 feet. Yeah, so they're, they're nine or 10,000 yeah. here, then mm -hmm. close to 12,000 from Mount Hood. Okay. But, so they're not massively high, but you get big climbs there. So mm -hmm. going up South Sister is a 5,000 foot climb. Mm -hmm. There aren't that many places in Colorado you can get a 5,000 foot climb because if you're doing a 14er, you're usually starting at 10 or 11 or 12, and it's not as big a nonstop uh, base to, to summit to uh, climb. Yeah, and that climb is, ooh, uh, I looked it up yesterday and now I've totally drawn a blank, but um, is it six or eight miles? Uh, it's only five and a half miles five for 5,000 feet. Miles. That's yeah. why I was like, the last Legit? bit is really steep. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I, so I can get up it's there awesome yesterday training. and I was like, no, I cannot yeah. get up there and get back down. And, and it looks so beautiful. It's surrounded it's by the so forests. Gorgeous. And when you're on the top of a mountain and there's just a few mountains around yeah. and they're quite far away, you get a lot more of a view than if you're just in the middle of a mountain range. Yeah. I mean, I love Colorado. There are spectacular mountains there, but you don't get as much of that clear 100 mile view right. of, of seeing, you know, bend from the top of a mountain or seeing. Mount Hood from the top of a mountain here that's, you know, 100 miles or so away. Mm -hmm. And in town, um, I believe that just the paved trail along the Deschutes River is like 50 miles. It like um, navigates the city. There's and some sort of trail. Endless. I mean, along the river, quite... they've now, I think, linked it all up. But yeah, there's just start, so many trails. Mm -hmm. So they, I can very easily do small hills. I can do yeah. road. I can do mountains. I can do all the different things that I need for the type of running I, I do. Exactly. And there's a bit of altitude. doesn't really give me much of a benefit because I'm not living that high up. Mm -hmm. But the other thing about Bend is just awesome outdoor community. There's loads of Olympians here, professional cyclists, triathletes, loads of runners, uh, particularly trail runners and ultra runners. Mm -hmm. And just the same kind of community where you turn up to a local 5K and there'll be someone who was in the Olympic trials who just nails it. And uh, there's, there's always a lot of quick guys around, which, again, helps with that growth element of there's always someone better than you. It forces you to keep pushing yourself. If you're the best guy in town, then it's not as exciting. And, and frankly, even in London, the kind of paces I was doing there in the marathon, that's nearer the top end of the tree. Oh, While here, yeah. I'd actually yeah. say I feel like I'm slower relative. I've, I've become quicker since, since I was in London, but okay. I feel like I'm further behind the road guys here than I was in the city of London. Because it's, it's not really a town for runners. It's not, even though there's a lot of people, it's not really where a professional runner typically lives. Yeah. And I would say one of the things I found really appealing to Bend as an athlete, I'm going to be 51 this year, is seeing the 60s and the 70-year-olds and the 80-year-olds mm -hmm. out there on their bikes, hiking, trail running, doing whatever the things are they're doing here. I know there's a triathlon yep. community here as well. Cycling is definitely lifestyle, huge. Yeah, the lifestyle of every bent. element. Yeah. My, uh, my wife's uh, father-in-law, uh, no, her 
stepdad, sorry. Yeah. He uh, he lives in Bend as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's an avid cyclist. He's been like state champion in Washington State for his age group. Bike down. So he's, he loves it here. That's why they moved here. Because mm -hmm. they saw what Amy had and they'd visit us and go, why don't we live here as well? So yeah. they retired and moved to Bend. Um, and it just means they can enjoy these awesome trails as well. But I, I love all of that. But I also love the fact that it's got great restaurants and it's got a really good beer community. There's so many great breweries. Yeah. So and coffee. I'm not mean, really a coffee drinker, so that, okay. that doesn't that doesn't appeal to me as much. That's a thing for me. So <laughs> yeah. like I can go to a town if it has gluten free. I'm now doing a little vegetarian experience. So mm -hmm. good food around both of those two things. And then it's got to have good coffee and trails. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there is there is definitely a magic happening here. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And there's, there's quite a few places across even just the U.S. that has a lot of those elements. But I just like how it all comes together in Bend. And all of those places are obviously quite expensive because they're super desirable. We're talking, you know, the mountain towns in Colorado, yeah. uh, a couple of places in Montana. You said you came through Ashland. That's another big trail town with all the ultra runners. Mm -hmm. So th there's probably about six or seven places in the US that are hubs for ultra running. Yeah. And this is one of them. Mm -hmm. And I love all of those different places, but this is the one that also has more people I know. It's got the links from my wife being here much longer as well. And uh, it just fits in perfectly. And this is the perfect weather for me. This is if it could be like this, maybe nine months a year, it'd be better. But uh, so it does yeah. snow here. I mean, it's, down, yeah, it's, down it's low still still a ski town. So the, okay. the mountains are ski Bachelors resorts, right and mm -hmm. we we typically get about a month of it being pretty snowy in town. Okay, and, so that's and really not... bad years, like three or four months of it just being blocked with snow everywhere. Okay, because even the trails down here in town, you, know, you could totally run in the snow, and I didn't know what the environment might. I could. Be like. um, I don't tend to go on the trails as much in winter because it's just way harder. Okay. because of the snow. Yeah. So I do more road running in winter, mm -hmm. but there's plenty of good road running as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So when you're but in... But everyone, don't move here. It's a really bad place, <laughs> no matter what I just said. <laughs> well, and I would say it's not inexpensive. And mm -hmm. then lifestyle choice, I don't know if there's a lot of jobs and so forth. So we're not trying to get everybody to move no, from... No. But to be clear, like as a vacation destination, or if you're coming to train or do mm -hmm. races, so... Myself yep. and my friends, we love to travel and train in different places and also travel and race in different places. Yep. Like that's how we want to experience the world is on our feet or on our bikes or whatever that looks like. And I would say this is a great town for that. You know? Oh, no doubt. This is a great place to come and train mm -hmm. and hang out at the, the local running store. It has like group runs so you can easily go on one of those and randomly meet people. I was just listening to a podcast with a friend of mine, a friend now, but she... I, met her about 10 years ago when I was first in Bend. So Chrissy Mail, she's one of the top oh, uh, female ultra yeah. runners. She lives in, in Washington State. And yeah. the way that I met her, and this is a perfect way to describe Bend, is you, I, was on a, <laughs> I was on a lunchtime run with the local Foot Zone uh, Wednesday group run. Got it. And there's this girl there. And it's like, you know, everyone's just talking to each other. And they say, oh, yeah, this Chrissy, you should chat to her. She, she does 100 miles. Like, oh, yeah, how many have you done? Because I'd done a couple at that point. And I'm thinking cool, you know, we both do this thing. And they go, she just got the course record at UTMB, I, the biggest trail race in the world around Mont Blanc in France. And she just come back from winning it with a record. It's like, oh, okay, I'm just randomly on this run. And there happens to be the course record holder from the biggest event in my sport in the world. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I had no idea. But, yep. but that's how you meet someone in Bend. It can just be as simple as that. Totally. And ironically, um, I am. I know her as well, but um, I'm going to be seeing her in Bellingham in a week or so or whatever. Oh, cool. She will be well, on the podcast. Yeah, totally. <laughs> We're both doing the van life experience right now. So we'll probably. Do I know she's just started doing that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not envious of living in a van, especially yeah. through it being really hot in summer. But the other good thing here is that even when it's 90 something degrees in the day, it cools down so much at night. So as a runner, 
I can go first thing in the morning or last thing in the day, and it's really not that bad. Yesterday was super hot through the day. I started running at 7.30, 8pm. Really wasn't that difficult to run. Um, while if I'd gone in the middle of the day or if I'd have lived in a lot of places where it doesn't have as much of a change night to day, um, if it's a 100 degree day, it's a 95 degree night. And so you, yeah. you never get respite from it. Yeah. Well, we're going to get ready to wrap, but I want to ask you one thing. I did see, I don't know, have you run Badwater or were you crewing and pacing? I have, I've there? paced Badwater four times, but I've never run it myself. Okay. Um, and I have crewed and paced it, but I'm going to actually be doing the Badwater course solo in oh, October. Cool. Yep. Um, just as a personal challenge. And I just wanted to know for me as a coach, do you have any top tips or a couple things you want to throw at me? Yeah, well, we the, the fact Don't that it'll die. be a little bit cooler then, but still stupidly hot. <laughs> I mean, it's not high, as hot as when the race is in July, well, but you yeah. know, anything could happen. which is still high 90s and direct sunlight the whole way. Yeah. I would say the main thing is make sure that you have uh, people helping you out and crewing For sure. in the most extreme way you ever have crews. So yeah. at normal races, you have people five, 10 miles apart at eight stations, or they can only get to five places in a hundred miler. And then you have eight stations spaced apart. In bad water, you need someone every mile or two who can replenish your ice, who can be spraying you down with water, who can look after you and you typically have pacers as well who are running behind you with a, a spray bottle full of ice spraying you down and then you <laughs> you switch out and the next person does it behind you mm -hmm. so it's a really full-on um pacing kind of and, and crewing experience there and you need that yeah. but if you've got loads of ice then you can the body can cope with all of that yeah um it can cope especially if it's in the 90s versus like 120 if you do it in july then it's just about keeping yourself cool and using ice. Uh, it's obviously tough and a long way, 135 miles, but it's mainly just it about dealing with the, with the heat. <laughs> but that, that's where your crew, you yeah. can have time to, you know, whenever you Take meet up with them, you don't want to be every mile stopping for five minutes, but you'll never get there. You, you want to have it just be as efficient as possible, but them doing loads of stuff all the time through the, the sun, at least, maybe less so at nighttime. Thank you but it's really fun. It, the one thing that surprised me about Badwater is I thought it's just going to be a boring road with sand. Oh, it's And gorgeous. that's all. But it's kind of like when I went to the Sahara Desert, where, again, just thought it'd be sand dunes and nothing else. Right. It's incredibly varied and yeah. really beautiful day and night. And, and deserts are spectacular. I think a lot of people just have this image of it having nothing. Deserts but it has favorite. so much more. Yeah. I mean, I love environments like this, but deserts are my favorite. I love that you can see forever, and there's something incredibly magical yeah. about the energy of a desert. I don't and know the why. nights look amazing, and Sorry. there's often mountains around as well. It's not just sand dunes, but when you get to the big sand dunes, they do look really cool. But it's not like every element of it is that. And, and there's some massive sand dunes that you go past in the Badwater course, mm -hmm. somewhere roughly around halfway. And you just look at them and go, how, how is that there? It's like someone just dumped a huge ton of sand over about a five square mile section and then everything around it isn't like that. Yep. But it's just there. And it looks almost fake, like a theme park kind of thing. But it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so wrapping up, what would be ways that our audience could find you um, and follow you? Simplest thing is all my social media is Charmanian. So my last name, first name, Charmanian or um, Shaman Ultra is the coaching company. So I did that on purpose because it sounds like the toilet paper. So I, <laughs> I, I, I pronounce it a little bit differently, but most people pronounce it as Shaman Ultra for the toilet paper. I pronounce That's it awesome. Charmin Ultra, but because all Americans pronounce it that way, I thought, why don't I take advantage of that? Because it'll stick in people's mind more. <laughs> yes, it's extra soft. And people yeah. need more toilet paper right now. There's a Exactly. I, I did even amusingly contact them and say, I'm an ultra Sponsor. runner. Would you like to sponsor me? And they said, oh, we're part of PG&E or whatever, you know, massive big uh, conglomerate. You'd have to funnel it through them. It's like, no, not, not going to happen. But uh, 
I, I just thought it was, it was worth a try. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, well, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. And I really appreciate getting to know you, and I'm sure our audience will as well. Thank you, Samantha. We'll follow fun. your adventures. And that's a wrap. Thanks, guys. Thank you for connecting with us for this episode of the Endurance Town USA Project. Discover more about today's guest, along with other great stories and video projects, by visiting us online at EnduranceTownUSA.com. You can also follow us for updates and behind-the-scenes peeks at future episodes on Instagram at EnduranceTownUSA. You can also connect with our creator, host, and life leadership and business coach, Samantha Pruitt, at SamanthaPruitt.com, or on Instagram at TheSamanthaPruitt. And lastly, you can follow me, Travis Ford, producer and marketing creative at rockharbormarketing.com or Instagram at rockharbormarketing. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time we go on an adventure to Endurance Town, USA. Bring it back.